Does everybody have a handout? Okay, good. This is a two-part teaching. Um, it is uh, the foundation of the teaching came through one of my um, people that I really follow, Randy Clark, who is part of the Bill Johnson Group, Global Awakenings and Global Legacy Groups, of, of people who believe that the Holy Spirit is alive and well and believe that Jesus heals today. And I, I got a beautiful book about healing. I bought it about a year ago. And this is just one little nugget out of the book. And when I read this nugget, it was like, okay, God, this is powerful. I really want to share this. So that was the foundation for this teaching. It's entitled Four Kinds of Faith. I'm going to share two of those kinds of faith tonight. And I'm going to share the other two, the, the second two, two weeks from now. Um, and Kathy, you're going to get a kick out of this because Holy Spirit is pretty amazing. Because the first scripture that I want to share before we get into the meat of the teaching is Hebrews 11.1, 1, which is all about faith because we're talking about four kinds of faith tonight. So the scripture says, Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. And that's what Kathy was just talking about. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. So let's start with the word faith. The word faith means to be fully persuaded, to be fully convinced, to have a conviction in your heart that you believe with all your heart. Now, the issue we have in our world is that you, it, your faith can be in many different things. Your faith might be in the medicine. Your faith might be in the doctor. Your faith might be in the alternative medicine. Your faith might be in um, the one that I've heard a lot lately uh, is um, essential oils. I hear that all the time recently. Your faith might be in essential oils. This faith, because this comes from the word, this comes from the Bible. The faith that Hebrews 11.1 1 is talking about is faith in God and in his promises, in his word. Faith in God, faith in his word. Faith is the substance. The word substance means foundation. The very bedrock. Faith is the bedrock, the foundation of hope. I want to I just use the, the picture right now of a house that's being built. A house has to have a very secure foundation. It is probably the most important part of the whole house. Nothing in that beautiful house is going to be worth anything if the foundation isn't secure. This secure foundation of faith is so very important in our walk as believers. Faith, believing, being fully persuaded in the goodness of God and in the truth of his word and that he's good and faithful to his word. That faith is the bedrock the foundation of hope. Hope is what Kathy was talking about. It's that as you have faith, as you believe in God, it's the substance for expectation. It's the substance for what I see in joy today. Her confident, joyous expectation, knowing that she knows that she knows that all is well. All is well. She is whole. She is healed. And all is well, even in the process of the different things that she's going through medically right now. All is well. She has this confident, joyous expectation. So faith, being fully persuaded of the truth of the word, is the foundation for that hope. 
Now today we're going to look at four, well, we're going to look at two accounts today and two next week or two weeks from now. And we're going to see people that had different levels of hope, different levels of expectation. And that's because they're, they're coming from a different entry point into their faith. So faith is the substance of things hoped for, but it is also the evidence of things not seen. The word evidence can also be translated proof. Faith is the proof of things not seen. In my Amplified Bible, it uses the term title deed. Faith is the title deed of things not seen. So just hold that thought for a minute. I want to go to the things not seen part. Faith is the, the proof or the title deed of things not seen. That refers to anything that hasn't yet been revealed to your senses. It's easy to believe what you see. It's easy to believe the doctor's report that you hear. And yes, we all want to hear the doctor's report and see the piece of paper that says healed. That problem you had is no longer there. We all want that piece of paper. But faith is proof that faith that we have, that full persuasion of God's truth, is the proof for the things that we haven't yet seen. We don't have the doctor's report yet. But our faith is the proof that it's ours. Our faith is our title deed, that it is ours. When you buy a house, when you go and you do your purchase agreement and put your down payment down, you haven't paid it off yet, but you have a title deed. Now, the whole thing isn't done. It's not yours for probably 30 years, 15, 20, 30 years. But you have a title deed. It is yours. You have proof. You have the piece of paper. I love to use the example of... of um, a, an oncoming storm. If there's a big storm brewing, it's daytime. If it's daytime and there's a big storm brewing, you see the dark, ominous clouds, the big, dark, heavy clouds. And that is your evidence that a storm is coming. That storm moves through the, through the, the, the atmosphere, and when it comes close, it brings the storm. The clouds carry the storm. But they don't only carry the storm, they also distribute it. They also pour down the rain. When all of the circumstances are right, the precipitation comes out of the cloud and you get the precipitation. Our faith is like that. Faith, I see it in you, Joy. I see it in you, Olga. I see it in so many of us. That faith is that confidence, that strength that doesn't even make sense. It's that strength that people look at you and they think, hmm, What's she on? <laughs> She's on Jesus. It's that strength that rises up in you. It's that, that um, conviction that I'm healed. It doesn't matter if I don't have the doctor's report yet. I know that God's taking good care of me. And there is a peace and there is a confidence. That is like the cloud. That faith, that Active faith, that strength, that conviction is carrying, just like the cloud carries the storm, it's carrying your miracle. Faith 
is the title deed or the proof of your miracle. Now, Joel, you don't have the end of your story yet. Olga, you don't have the doctor's report finished thing yet. You've got lots of good pieces of it, but you don't have the final, final thing. But your faith is the evidence of things you haven't yet seen the full result of. But that's not all. It carries it. Your faith carries it, but it also rains it down. Your faith is, is the, the, the key to receiving what Jesus already did. Your faith carries it, and your faith distributes it. That's all just a little definition of faith. Today we're talking about four kinds of faith. Now, you may be saying, oh, I wish I had that kind of faith. I wish I had that kind of confidence. I wish I had that kind of strength, but I don't feel that way. Now, here's some really good news. You do have faith. If you're a believer, if you have said, Jesus, I give you lordship of my life, if you believe and you've declared your belief and asked Jesus to be your Lord, you have that faith. And I'm going to give you three scriptural pieces of evidence that show you that. The first one is Romans 12, 3. And it says, For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. I love the first part of the scripture because it kind of takes you off your pedestal. It says, don't think of yourself more highly than you should. You know, don't look at Joy and say, oh boy, she's a superstar of faith. Or don't look at Kathy and say, wow, I wish I was like her. Because God says, don't do that. He says, think soberly instead. Because it's not you. God hath dealt or distributed to each one of us the measure of faith. I use the King James Version because many other translations use the word a measure of faith. And it isn't as clear of a, of, a, of a word as the. We all have the same measure. You have the same measure that I have. We all have the same measure. Shadow, you have the same measure I have. We have plenty of faith because you're going to see in the next scripture, we have the faith of Jesus. So let's look at the next scripture. This is Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So this scripture could be a whole teaching in itself. So I have to pare it down. But basically what it's saying is that when Christ died, when Christ became the sacrifice, we, a part of us, as, as Christians, as believers, we died too. The sin nature died. The, the um, part that was condemned died. And we were resurrected with Jesus to new life. To new life without the sin nature. To new life justified and righteous. We were raised to new life. We were raised with the fullness of salvation that includes healing. That's the new life. But this scripture says... It's interesting, right after the semicolon, it says, yet not I, like it's not just me, it's not 
Cindy. It's Cindy with Jesus. But Christ lives in me. Before I was just Cindy. Now I'm Cindy with Christ in me. And then it goes on. And this life that I now live, this new life, this fullness of life, knowing God, knowing Jesus, this is how I do it. I do it by the faith of the Son of God. That's how I do what I do. That's how I believe what I believe. That's how Joy believes what she believes and Olga believes what she believes and Rhonda and, and Penny and Shyla and all of us. It's not us on our own. We couldn't do it. But with Christ in us, with the faith of the Son of God in us, that measure of faith that was planted in us is the faith of Jesus because Christ lives in us. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? And the next scripture is written... Um, um, about the new church because you're saying well you know that's all that's all well and good for the for the apostles or for paul or for you know the the, the people who knew jesus up front and personal but the next scripture is from the book of acts and this is after jesus had been raised from the dead and they were moving ahead and the church was being born and new christians were being added to the numbers day by day by day and listen to this this is the account where the apostle Peter and John had healed a man who had been lame from birth. So he had always, he'd never walked. And they healed him. And he got up and was walking and leaping and dancing and rejoicing. And then people were questioning how that guy got healed. And this is what Paul wrote. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him, as you can all see. So Paul's saying, it wasn't us. It was the power of the name of Jesus and faith that comes through Jesus. That's how this guy got healed. That's how he became strong. So here's the purpose for this teaching. The main purpose of this teaching is to dispel the lie that you're not going to get healed if you don't have enough faith. You have enough faith. You have the faith of Jesus. That's enough faith. Faith is important. And as we look at these four different scenarios that I'm going to teach from over the next two weeks, you're going to see that the people in the, in the accounts that Jesus healed were at all different places in their understanding and in their believing and in their walk. But they had a mustard seed. They had a little bit of faith in there. The question that I ask myself today is, okay, I know I have the faith of Jesus. The question is, how much do I understand? Because knowledge is a big deal. And what measure of the measure am I using? Many of us haven't, don't even access it because we don't know. We don't understand. We have a lack of knowledge. So the question is, isn't, do I have enough faith? The question is, what measure of the measure that I have am I activating? And here's the good news. Jesus will meet you right where you're at. We don't want this thing about, do I have enough faith, to be a stumbling block because it can be.
If you're looking at yourself and saying, do I have enough faith or am I messing up? Your faith will, will slip away. It'll be hindered because you're going to be looking at yourself instead of Jesus. And we want to keep our eyes on Jesus because that's where our faith is. That's what it's in, is Jesus. Okay. So we're going to... Tonight's going to be formatted a little differently because what I'm going to do is I'm going to share... I've got four accounts, um, and they're all from the book of Mark. We're going to do two of them tonight and two of them in two weeks. After each um, small teaching... We're going to stop, and we're going to have ministry time. And we're going to, um, my heart is to, to just let the word encourage you. And the results of each of these people encourage you. And then we're going to minister right to that need, the same need that the person had that we're going to be reading about, the same kind of place that they were coming from. And we're going to pray, and we're going to minister right in that place. And I believe God's just going to do an amazing work here tonight. So the first, the first kind of faith we're going to talk about is a mixture of faith. A mixture of believing and unbelieving. And if you can kind of faith. If you can, Jesus. If you can faith. Okay, this is Mark chapter 9 starting with verse 17. Then one of the crowd answered and said, Teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. And wherever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. Jesus answered the father and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Then they brought the little boy, to Jesus. And when the little boy saw Jesus, immediately the spirit convulsed him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. So Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, there's that, those words, Jesus, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly, and came out of him. And he became as one dead, so that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind could come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. So I want to point some things out about this man, the father. First of all, he was not confident of an assured outcome. That scripture we read, Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith is, being, is the substance of, of expectation. There was no, he wasn't fully persuaded. He wasn't confident in an assured outcome at all. The second point is that 
he was not in agreement with God. He was not confessing God's promises of victory. No, we talk about that. We talk about agreeing with God and, and believing in the promises and the victory. He wasn't doing that. And thirdly, he was being tossed to and fro between believing and not believing, between believing and doubting. That was a big obstacle. That was a huge obstacle. And it's a huge obstacle in many of our lives. The obstacle of unbelief. Most people think that if you're believing God, then you automatically don't have any unbelief. They think, most people think that if um, you've read the, the, the Bible and you know the promises and you know the goodness of God and you know the goodness of Jesus, that you can't have unbelief in there because you know truth. But that's not true. You can have belief and unbelief at the same time. And believing is canceled out by unbelieving. Faith is canceled out by unbelief. I want to give you a, a, a picture to help you to understand this. Let's picture right now a wagon. And on that wagon, like an old-fashioned farm wagon, and on that wagon is your problem. It might be um, cancer. That's a big problem on the wagon. It might be uh, depression or anxiety. It might be an issue with a relationship, but there's that big problem on the wagon. On one side of the wagon is your faith, and there's a team of horses, a strong team of horses, and everything that makes up your faith strengthens the horses. So your faith is the, knowing the promise of God. Your faith is coming to these meetings and being built up. That's all strengthening your faith, and that team of horses is getting stronger and stronger and stronger. That faith, that team of horses, that strong faith team includes the people you surround yourself that are believers. It includes coming and getting prayer and having hands laid on you. All that stuff is part of your faith. It's your relationship with Jesus and knowing Jesus the healer. It's your relationship with God and knowing that he's a good, good father. That's all the team of horses. That's faith. Problem's here. Faith is here. Now I want you to picture the wagon with a team of horses of faith. But on the other end of the wagon, there's another team of horses. And that other team of horses is unbelief. The other team of horses includes stuff like natural symptoms, pain, doctor's reports, fear. All the stuff we talk about, this, the deceiver likes to just magnify. And that that unbelief side can be strengthened if we feed it, if we feed those horses, if we feed them with talking about the problem and, and dwelling on the problem and surrounding ourselves with people who agree with us with the problem. And that can get really, really strong. Now, here's the problem. You got a team of horses here of faith. You got a team of horses here of unbelief. And they're both pulling, and the net effect is zero. 
The doubt is counterbalancing the believing. And it's negating your faith. So unbelief is a huge obstacle. We've got some really good teachings on this topic. And I'm not teaching on it tonight. But I needed to give that much information to you to, um, to go into the rest of the story. But this is one thing I do want to say. First, I want to say there's a really good teaching. It's called Unbelief, the Enemy of... Let me see. The Enemy of Faith. It's on the video. Unbelief, the Enemy of Faith. It's powerful teaching. But this is one piece I want to tell you. Remember the last line of the scripture when Jesus said, This kind only goes out by prayer and fasting? I'm not going to go into a teaching on fasting, but let me just say this much. Whatever you feed will grow, will grow in strength. If you feed your faith, your faith is going to grow stronger. But if you feed the unbelief, if you feed the problem, if you talk about the problem and feed it, it will get bigger and bigger and you're magnifying it. We've talked about that a lot. So Jesus said this kind only comes out through prayer and fasting. We need to starve unbelief and feed faith. Starve unbelief. Starve that stuff. Don't feed it. Don't give it, don't give it life by talking about it and, and dwelling on it and being in, self-absorbed in the problem. Instead, feed your faith. Okay, now... What I want to do, I want to say this first before I go on. We're talking about different kinds of faith, and this is the one that's a mixture of faith and unbelief, but here's the good news. You don't need to have a big faith. Remember, we have the measure of faith, and it's the faith of Jesus. So you don't need to have this super huge faith. It just needs to be pure. A faith that isn't canceled out or negated by unbelief. Just a pure faith, just a tiny bit. But if it's pure, you're saying, I just trust you, God. I'm just, I'm taking all that stuff over there captive. I'm not even going to dwell on it. And I just trust you, God. Just trust you, God. Coming here is a powerful thing to do and being built up. Trusting God. Only, doesn't need to be big, just pure. So let's look at how this kid got healed, because Jesus healed him. First, I want to talk about four key factors, and then we're going to look at seeds of breakthrough. We're going to look at four key factors that, that are part of this account. And as we do, you may connect with some of these factors. It's okay. It's okay. Even though they're, they're, they're issues, it's okay because there are seeds of breakthroughs to take you right out of those factors and into healing. So here's the first key factor. The son's condition was extremely serious. That was a big factor. And the scripture gives us evidence of that. In verse 17, Then one of the crowd answered and said, Teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. And wherever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out. But they couldn't. So this boy had a very grave problem. He was mute. He had some kind of a grave seizure disorder with um, grand mal seizures. And then later in the account, it even says that it throws him into the fire or into the water. So there were all kinds of great, there was a very seriousness to the, to the 
health issue that the little boy had. So looking at your own situation, it may be very serious. It may be extremely serious, but the problem is your, or the, the important thing is your view of the seriousness. Is your view of the problem greater than your view of the solution? If it is, you're believing a lie. If your view of the problem is bigger, it seems bigger than God, you have an inaccurate view of God. The truth is that when we compare any sickness, no matter how big, my friend in Singapore who just got the really bad report, no matter how big it is, the greatness of God and his ability and his willingness to heal completely cancel out that problem. There's no contest. God, problem. There's no contest. God is so much bigger, so much stronger. He is greater than any condition, no matter how great that condition might be or how serious it may appear. We need to change our perspective. Instead of putting our eyes on the greatness of the problem, which is nothing compared to God, when we put our perspective and our view on the bigness of God, that problem doesn't seem so big anymore. So that's the first key factor. The second key factor is that the sickness that the little boy had was a long-standing condition. In the scripture, verse 21, Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And the father replied, from childhood. If someone has lived with something in pain or a disease, chronic disease, for a long time, it can make it very difficult for them to be fully persuaded of this word. We talked about faith, being fully persuaded of truth. And if that's been a long, long-standing issue, it may be much harder, more, more difficult for them to be fully persuaded in the promises of the word. The longer the condition, the more um, disappointed a person might be. There's a scripture in the Bible in Proverbs that says, um, hope deferred makes a heart sick. But or a hope fulfilled or a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. I have a wonderful teaching on that scripture. But the hope deferred is one of the enemy's tricks or one of the enemy's deceptions to try to get you to buy the lie that for whatever reason it's not for you. It's a lie. It's totally a lie. So, but, it's, but it's common. And if it's something that you've been dealing with for a long time, that's something that we're going to pray about when we have our ministry time. The third key factor in this little boy's situation is that the disciples had failed to heal or deliver the, the little boy. Verse 18 says, So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. So maybe you've been in that kind of a situation where you've had a lot of people pray for you. You've had, um, maybe in this environment, you've come to our, our leaders, you know, Kathy or Tom or Fran or Lisa or, or, or whoever's here or me and we've prayed for you and you still have the issue and you're like you know I've had everybody and then maybe you've gone to a conference and had Andrew Walmack pray for you or Bill Johnson pray for you or Randy Clark pray for you and you're saying well you know it didn't work and you're thinking well I guess it just for whatever reason it's not for me or I'm not a receiver that's a bunch of baloney. <laughs> what we're going to look at tonight is that God will meet you right where you're at. 
But that is something that may have been registered in your soul and kind of you took it in, you didn't even realize it. And there's a burden in there like, why, God? Why didn't that not happen when Cindy prayed for me? Why didn't I receive healing? The fourth key factor is that that father had an if-you-can mindset. The scripture says, but if you can do anything, Jesus, have compassion on us and help us. So here's a dad. Now remember this scripture, took this account took place before Jesus paid the price. It was really old covenant time because Jesus hadn't yet offered himself as a sacrifice. But what Jesus did do was he pointed us to the heart of the father. He was a perfect representation of his father. So as he did all of the miracles and signs and wonders, he's showing us the goodness of God. He's showing us the heart of God. But this man didn't know. He didn't know Jesus was the Messiah. He didn't know that he came to heal, that he came to save. He didn't know any of that. So he came to Jesus and said, if you can do anything. He didn't even know if Jesus could heal, let alone if he would heal. He was a very minimal, minimal believing. You know, he, didn't, he was co completely unknown. He didn't, he didn't have any idea. And as I was thinking about this dad and his lack of any kind of believing, I was thinking about three levels that I see in us. The first one is, is when people don't even know if God can heal. Maybe you've been brought up in a doctrine, a, a church, or a doctrine that says God doesn't heal anymore. Miracles are, are, you know, died out with the apostles. Or maybe you're saying, maybe you're a realist. And you say, you know, that would be awesome, but in, in reality, that just so rarely happens. And you're in that position of this father who says, well, if you can heal Jesus. The next level would be where you know that God can heal, but you're not sure if he will heal or if he will heal you. That's the next level. So there's first knowing that God has the ability, that he can. Next is that he's willing. And then the third level is knowing that not only is he willing, but it's already been completed. It's past tense. Even before you've seen it manifest in your body, you know that he can, that it is his will, and that it's not only his will, it's already done. So you may be in the first position, or the second position, or the third position. As a believer, with the faith of Jesus in you, with the measure of faith in you, but because of a lack of knowledge, you may be in first, second, or that third position. So there were a lot of factors involved here. But the little boy got healed. So let's look at the seeds of breakthrough. Three seeds of breakthrough. The first seed of breakthrough is that that man was honest. He didn't pretend to be somebody he wasn't. He was gut level honest. He didn't know if Jesus even could heal, let alone he would. That's where we need to be. We need to come. If we're in that position, in any position, no matter where you're at, and you have questions, go to God with your questions. Go to God with your concerns. Go to God with your frustrations. Go to God with your confusion. 
and say, God, I'm just laying it out. This doesn't make sense to me. Help me to understand. And he will. He will. He wants us to come to him, just like we want our kids to come to us. And that's what this man did. He came to Jesus totally honest. The second seed of breakthrough. He had enough faith to bring his little boy to Jesus. He had no idea if this was going to work. But he at least brought his little boy to Jesus. The question is, why? Probably because he had heard of Jesus' works. Probably because he had heard about this man, Jesus, and the power of the testimony connected with him. And he thought, well, if Jesus did that for those people, maybe, just maybe, he'll do that for my son. So that's, testimonies are powerful. They have the ability to awaken even a small, small amount of faith in an individual. Jesus' testimonies that that man had seen of healing and destroying the works of the enemy unlocked the little bit of faith that he had in there. So he was gut-level honest. He had the testimony that drew him in, the testimonies of Jesus that drew him in. And then the third seed was compassion. In verse 22 of this account, it says, But if you can do anything, Jesus, have compassion on us and help us. Compassion. Jesus had compassion. Compassion has the power, the compassion of Jesus, the love, the power, the grace, the the connection of Jesus has the power to lower the volume of unbelief. He had a lot of unbelief. But the compassion of Jesus allowed the little bit of faith he had to wake up and connect with Jesus. Compassion lowered the volume of of, um, false teaching, if you can, Jesus. It lowered the volume of discouragement. My son's had this his whole life. It lowered the volume of all that stuff that was so big. The compassion of Jesus and connecting with Jesus the compassionate Son of God just counterbalanced all that other stuff. And he saw Jesus, he connected with Jesus, and he received healing for his son. So we can be in that same position. When, when, when you come to us, Jesus is in us. He's with you in your prayer time. He's with you when you're seeking him, when you're praising him. He's there. And that compassion of Jesus, whether it's through laying out of hands in prayer, whether it's through your intimate time with God, that compassion, knowing his love, knowing he cares, knowing that he's good, can be just the peace that you need to put everything else aside and say, I just, I, I receive. That's what happened with this man. And our heart is that we are the compassion of Jesus, that we love you, in a a way that reflects the way Jesus loves you. And when that compassion is so heartfelt, there is a a connection between the hand of God and the heart of God. The, The compassion is the heart of God, and his hand is connected to his heart. My mentor, Pastor Tim, has told me this. I, I talk to him a lot. Um, 
because we have dinner usually every Tuesday night, so we spend a lot of time talking. And there's one particular woman that comes on Tuesday nights that has had MS for many, many years, and she's in a wheelchair. And, and um, Pastor Tim loves this woman so much. He has such compassion for her. And every time she comes, he goes and he prays for her and he lays hands on her, he talks to her and he loves on her. But he told, he's told me this many times. He said, Cindy, I know what I'm going to do. When I feel that deep compassion, I'll know it. When I have that, that compassion of God that just overtakes me, I'm going to stop everything and I'm just going to minister to this woman. I'm just going to go, I'm going to pray, I'm going to lay hands on her, and she's going to get healed. Because there's a connection between the compassion, between the heart of God and the hand of God. And that's what this man connected with. And that's what I believe that we can, can do here, that we can release here. When the heart of God just, just stirs in us as we share his goodness and his, and his, his amazing promises, that that compassion is a powerful tool to receive. Okay. Ken, is this where I ha Yes, this is where. Okay. What I want to do now, we're going to take a little mini break, and we're going to watch a video. It's just a five-minute video. This is a video of a woman that I know personally who reminds me of this dad. Um, some of you know her. Her name's Chris Carlson. But she's a woman who was very skeptical. She was just like this guy who, who said, if you can, Jesus. She didn't even know if miracles were for today. She was very skeptical, and she certainly didn't know if it was God's will to heal her. She literally said to the person who was praying for her, I don't believe in this healing stuff. But the compassion of the woman that was praying for her, her name's Marlene Kleps, a lot of you know her. The compassion of Marlene just, I believe, did just what happened here. The compassion of Jesus, the compassion of God flowed through Marlene, and that lady got healed. And I want to show you this testimony because then we're going to pray. Then we're going to have some time of corporate ministry and we're going to pray. And I believe that there's just something stirring in you between the testimony and the truth and the little seeds of breakthrough that we've seen in this account to know that no matter where you're at, it is more than enough for you to receive here and now, this very day. So Kent, go ahead and play that video. Out of nowhere, I had like this lightning bolt of piercing, burning pain. It was the most excruciating pain I'd ever felt in my life. Come into the upper part of my left cheek and just pierced straight through my face. It was 1997 when 25-year-old Chris Carlson started having the attacks. At first, they lasted a few seconds, but every day they returned more painful and more often. When Chris would have one of the, the shocks, the, the spikes of pain in her, in her face, I could see it instantly. It could, her eye would close up, her, her face would kind of scrunch up. My face would swell up with the pain, and so literally my face would constrict. Doctors couldn't find the cause, and the faintest touch on her face or exposure to light would trigger an episode. The pain from her sensitivity to light became so debilitating she had to leave her job as an engineer 
and isolate herself from friends. Our house was becoming darker and darker and darker. I mean, a light bulb would go out, we wouldn't replace it. And so literally it was dark, but emotionally it was also dark. Finally, after six years, doctors discovered Chris had a rare chronic pain condition called TN, or trigeminal neuralgia. It affects the trigeminal nerve that carries sensation to the face and brain. It's also known as the suicide disease. Because people just can't get out of the pain, and so they will eventually take their own life. I mean, it was very stressful. It controlled everything about our lives, every decision we made. For the next nine years, doctors treated Chris with medications, injections, and surgeries, but they provided only temporary relief. Chris and Dave say during this time, they prayed for everything except healing. We pray to um, get the right doctor who would know what was going on. We'd pray to uh, get the right procedure, but never did we know to just pray to take it away. So with all her options exhausted, Chris asked God to help her cope with the pain. You have to help me. I can't do this. Well, if I have to live with it, God, you got to help me to live with it. You know, I can't do it all by myself. So you're going to have to step in and help me. In August 2012, Dave encouraged her to attend a healing service hosted by a local pastor, Tim McCarthy. The guest speaker was Marlene Kleppies, a woman healed of cerebral palsy. Pastor Tim introduced her by showing her story that once aired on the 700 Club. And then afterwards, Pastor Tim said, Marlene would pray for people if you'd like prayer. And so I look at Dave and I'm like, okay, let's go. It's time to go home. He's like, are you kidding? You are going up for prayer. Reluctantly, she went forward. I said, look, I don't believe in this whole healing business. And she says, Okay. Okay, I'll, I'll believe for you. That, that's not a hard task. And then I remember feeling that it was very important that I touched the side of her face. And then she asked to touch my face. And nobody ever touched my face. But I let her. So she puts her hand on my face and says just a simple prayer. She's getting very bouncy and joyous. And she's like, oh, I didn't expect that. There it is. And so... Of course I don't say, yes, I'm feeling heat in the back of my neck. She finishes her prayer and I say, okay, thank you very much. Have safe travels home. As the couple headed home, a tingling sensation spread throughout the left side of her face. For 25 minutes I had that and then I had nothing. My face just opened up, my eye opened and I had no pain. She's like, I don't, I don't feel any pain at all. I'm like, like any pain? And we were both just confused. <laughs> you know, where's the pain? <laughs> it had been 15 years and it was gone. Chris was in awe of what God had done. In that moment, I was quiet. The pain is gone. But there was no reason for me to be healed. I wasn't in the Word all the time. I wasn't actively asking for healing. I wasn't, um, you know, I didn't have my ducks in the row, you know? And I was healed only because He loves me. Chris and Dave say the miracle made them reevaluate their priorities. They quit their jobs and sold their belongings. 
Today, they travel as missionaries and spread the word about God's healing power. He's absolutely incredible, isn't he? That I can go from being so sick to this is just amazing. And we have the most blessed life. That's our amazing God. God met her right where she was at. Right where she was at, just like the man whose little boy had the seizure disorder. So what we're going to do now is I'm going to have Kent put on some soaking music. Kent, you're doing great, honey. Thank you. And you know what? I'm supposed to stay up there, aren't I? Because I wanted him to video the prayer as well. So he's going to put on some music, and we're just going to pray right now. And I'm going to pray. In fact, I want you all to stand just in a position of receiving. Just in a position. Just put your hands up and say, Okay, Papa, I'm ready. I'm ready to receive all that you have for me. You may not have a need, but that's okay. You can believe for somebody else who does have a need. So, Father God, we come to you right now just tender in awe of how much you love us. Father, as we look at this testimony from your Bible, from the Word, how you chose to heal that little boy. When the father came with so much skepticism and so much lack of understanding and so much unbelief mixed in with a little tiny bit of belief, but you healed that boy. And then we saw the amazing testimony of my friend Chris and how you touched her and healed her of that pain that had been uh, chronic for 15 years. Father, I pray right now that the seed of faith that you have planted in us, that the measure of faith that you have deposited in us as your children, I pray right now for purity, that everything else is, is erased, that the volume of the pain is decreased, that the volume of the disappointment is decreased, that the volume of the wrong teaching is decreased, and you, God, are increased. Your goodness, your desire for your kids to be well is increased, and our vision is on you. Our vision is on your greatness. I pray, Father God, for you, the compassion of Jesus to just fall on us. The compassion, the love, the power, the grace, the goodness of Jesus to fall on us. The effect of his death to heal. By the stripes of Jesus, we were healed. That the effectual result of the stripes that he took would be manifest in our bodies, in our souls, in our minds, wherever it is we need healing, God, in our relationships, in our finances, wherever it is that we need healing. God, that we would just be open to receive, just like that father did with his son, just like Chris did when Marlene prayed for her. If you've been saying, God, this is really good news, but is it like a fairy tale? God, help us to know your ability to heal. 
Help us to know that, yes, you can. Today, this very day, this very day. And I also want to pray right now for the specific things that we've seen Jesus heal in these accounts. I want to pray for seizure disorders, first of all. And Shiloh, I want to pray for your daughter, as well as anybody else that has a loved one that has any kind of a seizure disorder or a neurological disorder. So I pray right now for the brain. I pray, Father God, if there's any misfiring or misconnections moving from the brain and into the body, God, that you would go and just heal it, restore it, and, and make these little ones well, or these people well that have any kind of seizure disorder or any kind of brain function disorder. Father, I pray for a creative miracle right now. If there needs to be something added so that the electrical and the, and the um, uh, chemical currents can move the way that they're supposed to move through the brain and into the body. Creative miracles, God. We're just believing right now for creative miracles. And I speak specifically to seizure disorder. And I command it to go. I command any demonic influence, just like Jesus did. I command any demonic uh, curse or iniquity to be cast off, removed, and broken. In Jesus' name. And I also speak over any nerve pain. Chris was healed of trigeminal neuralgia. So if there's anybody listening that is diagnosed with trigeminal neuralgia or any other nerve pain, I pray right now for supernatural healing that just like Chris felt the heat of God just go and, and cauterize that, that nerve and the, and the issue. And then it was gone. The pain was gone. I pray right now for supernatural healing of nerve pain. Thank you, Jesus, that you love us so much that you paid the price. Thank you, Father, for your compassionate heart and your healing hand. And right now, we choose to simply say, we believe. We trust you. We believe and we receive. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, go ahead and have a seat. Mm, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to look at the next account, which is much shorter. Um, we should be able to wrap up our evening within maybe 15 minutes or so, just so you know timing-wise, because we are running a little long tonight. But the second um, kind of faith that I want to talk about is called some faith. And the phrase that we're going to be hearing is, if you are willing. If you are willing. The scripture references Mark chapter 1, starting with verse 40. Now a leper came to Jesus, imploring him, kneeling down to him and saying to him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus, moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him. And said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. 
As soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. So this, if you are willing kind of faith, is a person that doesn't question whether God can heal. They recognize God's greatness. They recognize that he can heal. They recognize that he can do anything. But they don't know in their heart if it's God's will to heal. Okay, this is the obstacle that we're going to talk about and uncover. It's a big obstacle. We've talked about it in here a lot. And it's that obstacle where we've been taught something wrong. We've been indoctrinated with a lie. And the lie is that it might not be God's will to heal. The lie is that we are supposed to pray, God, if it be your will, heal me. But that's not, that's not truth. This, this deception comes wrapped in a package that sounds like this. It usually has a title, and the title is the sovereignty of God. And it sounds something like this. God is sovereign, and he can do absolutely anything he wants. However, his will to heal someone is his sovereign choice and his sovereign choice alone. He may be willing or he may not be willing. You just don't ever quite know with certainty. So that's sovereignty language, but it's not an accurate representation of the gospel. Jesus dispels that thing that I just talked about. We're going to talk about the true definition of the sovereignty of God in a minute. But what I want to do first is I want to say that if you can't prove something you're believing through Jesus, then you're probably believing a lie. When you look at the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus didn't turn people away. He didn't say no to healing. He didn't say, maybe it's my will today and not tomorrow, or maybe it's God's will today, but not for you. No, he never did that. He healed everybody who came to him. He healed everybody whom God led him to. He healed them all. So we can't prove that, that through the word. We can't prove the thing that says whatever will be will be, depending on the sovereignty of God. We can't prove that through the Bible. Now here's the truth. God is sovereign. He is so very sovereign that he doesn't violate his own word. He's so very sovereign that he has completed the work. It tells us that in the Bible, that Jesus carried our sickness. He carried our disease. He paid the price for us to be saved. And that means saved, healed, delivered, eternal life, forgiveness of sin, deliverance, victory, healing, a fullness of life. That's what he came to pay the price for. But when Jesus ascended to heaven, he gave us a commission. He commissioned us to go out and lay hands on the sick. He commissioned us to go out and spread the gospel, to preach the word. He commissioned us to be led and guided by the Holy Spirit. And he's given us a free will to follow his direction. But we have a part to play. We have a part to exercise. He is sovereign. He's sovereign to his promises. His will is here. 
but we are the ones that carry out his will on this earth. We are the ones that are to take the, the, the action to believe and receive. Take the action to agree with God and say, yes, God, I agree. Your word says this and I believe it. That's our part in receiving. If we are sitting back on our couch, we've read the word, and now we're just sitting there and saying, okay, God, I'm waiting. If it's your will, I'll be healed. If it's your not your will, then I won't be. Then we're just going to be sitting there not receiving anything because we have an active part to play. And it's not just sitting back and saying whatever will be, will be. Our part is to access, to take the gift that's already been given. And we've talked many times in many ways about what that looks like. Declaring the word, praising God for what he's already done, even if you haven't seen it yet. Surrounding yourself with people who are in agreement with you. Praying, believing God, declaring his word. Taking action of faith. Taking a step of faith. Doing it afraid. Laying hands on people who are sick. We have a part to play. We have a role to play in the sovereign will of God. So let's look at this scripture and look at two key factors and then the seeds of breakthrough. Here's the first key factor. That man came desperate. In the New Living um, Translation, verse 40 says, A man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus, begging to be healed. If you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean, he said. He came desperate. Desperation has the ability to override theology and bring a person into a divine encounter with God. That's what happened to me. I was very religious. I, I had a theology that I believed with all my heart. I lived it for the first 43 years of my life. But when I was diagnosed with stage 4 cancer, I was desperate. And it, it, it brought me into this place of encountering God, a place that I had never gone. And that's what this man did. He was desperate. And in his desperation, he went outside of what he was supposed to be doing as a man with leprosy. And he went and sought Jesus. And he had an encounter. It's amazing how powerful the simple act of coming to Jesus is. I had never done it. I didn't know I hadn't done it because I went to church, but I had never actually sought Jesus. I had never drawn near to him. I had never had that kind of a need, and I had never, I just hadn't done it. And the same thing with this man. He was desperate, and he encountered Jesus. So that was the first key factor. The second key factor is why did he come to Jesus in the first place? And very much like the last story that we read, he probably had heard testimonies. He probably had heard about the testimonies of Jesus and the power that he had and the healings that was going on. So again, the power of testimony was a huge factor. So here's the seeds of breakthrough. First seed. Once again, compassion had a huge impact. 
Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. That compassion, touching the heart of God, the heart of God connected to the hand of God. And with all of the great issues that that man had with leprosy, being um, excluded from, from his family and having to live you know, isolated and, and calling himself unclean and the disease and the, the devastation, disease, all that stuff was a big part of the picture. And yet, compassion lowered the volume. It lowered the volume of the wrong teaching. It lowered the volume of the unbelief. It lowered the volume of the, of the, the greatness of the problem. And compassion rose up and he connected. And he encountered Jesus and he received healing. I'm going to do a little switch of, in your notes. And the next thing I want to talk about is this really cool tidbit about the leprous man. Because in the, in the Old Testament, in the, in the law, a person who had leprosy was considered unclean. And not only were they unclean physically, they were also considered unclean, just unclean in their, in their whole being. So they weren't allowed to be around anybody else. And nobody could come near them. And if they did, and if they touched the leprous man, they became unclean. Now, part of that was because there was a contagious thing about leprosy. But the other part was a spiritual thing. And they were unclean to worship God. They were unclean to go in the temple if they had touched a leper. They became unclean. If somebody touched a man with leprosy or a woman with leprosy, the other person became unclean. But in the New Testament of grace, and Jesus instituted the New Testament of grace, when Jesus touched the man with leprosy, Jesus didn't become unclean. But the man became clean. That in itself is a beautiful picture of encountering God. When we go to him with all our junk, he doesn't get the residue of our junk, but we get the glory of his, of his goodness, of his healing, of his love. There's an amazing divine exchange that happens. We, give him our, we cast our cares on him. He gives us the glory of, of the greatness that he has for us as a good daddy. So that's the second seed of breakthrough. And the third seed is that Jesus doesn't rebuke that man for not having an abundance of faith. He doesn't say, what do you mean, if I am willing? He doesn't say that. He simply responds, I am willing. Be cleansed. And this is for us. This is for us. Jesus takes great delight in revealing his willingness to us. If we know that he can heal, if we know that he can he wants us to know that he will. He wants us to have a knowing. He wants, us to, he wants to just shout, say, I am willing, I am willing. And I'm going to share your story, Yvonne. I told her last night I was going to share it tonight. When Yvonne was diagnosed, Yvonne, stand up so everybody can see you. This is Yvonne Stevenson. She's part of our ministry team. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful woman. Oh, such a heart for God. But when she was first diagnosed, she was diagnosed with breast cancer many years ago. And 
she was she knew the goodness of God. She was also um, had a denominational background, but even in the midst of religion, she loved God, and she knew God loved her. She knew God was good. She never questioned the goodness of God. But at the beginning of the journey, when she was diagnosed, she went to God with a question. Gut level honest. And her question was, God, is it your will for me to be healed? I know that you're good. I know that you can. I know that you're able. But is it your will for me to be healed? And she went and asked God that question. Somebody brought her to our healing meeting. I don't remember that part of the story. Somebody brought her. The very first words that she heard come out of my mouth, the very first words were, it is God's will for you to be healed. And what Yvonne said, she says, I, God was speaking to me. I had asked him that question. And that was the first thing that you said. That was the first thing I said, but God was speaking to her. God was shouting, just like he did to this man. He said, I am willing, Yvonne. I am willing. That's what he told the man with leprosy. Yes, I am willing. And that was the turning point for Yvonne. She was on, in awe of how God spoke to her. She was in tears immediately, the very beginning of the meeting. First time I saw her, she was weeping and crying because of the goodness of God and how he had answered that question for her. And then we went on and showed her in the Bible how that was true. But God spoke to her, just right to her heart, and said, yes, I am willing. So for us, for us, that's what we want to give to you, but not from Cindy to you. We want it to be from Holy Spirit to you, that you know that God is willing, that you have no question but knowing that God is willing. So what I want to do right now is we're going to go back into corporate ministry, and we're going to um, minister to, to this kind of faith, the faith that says, well, I know God's able, but is he willing? Or maybe you've been going back and forth. You know, you're saying, well, this is really good news, but is this really where, where your, your plan is for me, God? So we're going to pray into this for a minute, and then I'm going to pray for the specific kind of sicknesses that we see here in this account. So, Father God, I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that as we see these imperfect people who came to you, who were in different places in their walks, but they came to you, Jesus. They came to you in their time of need. They came to you in their time of desperation. And Jesus, you met them right there with compassion, with willingness, and with a love so beautiful, so tender, that you met them right where they were at, and you said, yes, I am willing. 
Yes, I want you well. Yes, I care so much about you, baby girl. I care so much about you, my son. I want you well, even more than you want to be well. I want you whole. I want you living a full and a rich and a satisfying life. So I pray right now over every one of you, and I put myself in that same place of receiving prayer. I pray for us that we receive our Father's good love, that we receive his willingness, that we receive his care for us, that we receive his compassion, and that we don't, we don't worry about having it all right or being a superstar of faith. God, I pray that the seed of faith that you've planted in us, I pray right now that it sprouts, that it blossoms, that it grows, and that the beauty of the faith that is within us just reaches out and receives the fullness of your, of your healing grace. We receive Jesus. Just like that man who said, if it's your will, Jesus... Heal me, cleanse me. And Jesus said, yes, it's my will. Right now, I believe, I believe Holy Spirit wants you to know, yes, yes, I am willing. Be healed. Yes, I am willing. Be made whole. Yes, I am willing. Be strengthened. Yes, I am willing. Be edified and built up. Yes, I am willing. Let me put my arms around you and help you. Yes, I am willing. Let me comfort you. Yes, I am willing. Let me take your hand and lead you. You don't have to be alone. I am willing. I want to be there for you. I want to be there. I want to help you. I want to be your daddy. And I most certainly want you well. I pray right now for any kind of skin disease, any kind of disorders of the skin, I pray right now for psoriasis, for eczema, for any um, uh, allergic issues with skin, hives, any kind of skin issues. I speak over those skin issues right now and I say, be healed, be cleansed, be cleansed, be made whole. I pray that the skin is rejuvenated and healed so that there's not even any scar or sign of whatever that skin issue was. I speak over melanoma. I speak over any basal cell cancer. I speak over any, um, what's the other one, sarcoid tissue? Squamous cell, thank you, squamous cell. I speak over squamous cell, melanoma, or basal cell cancer.
and I call them healed, healed, healed in Jesus' name, cleansed and restored, restored to normal in Jesus' name. And whenever I see the word leprosy in the Bible, I equate it to any cancer. So I'm going to speak right now over any cancer. I speak over cancers right now. Any cancers in any part of the body. I speak over cancers. And I declare that you are under the blood of Jesus, cancer. Cancer, I speak to you right now. I have news for you. By the stripes of Jesus, you were healed. You were destroyed through the stripes that Jesus took on his back. Jesus destroyed cancer when he took those stripes on his back. I speak over the demonic iniquity of cancer, and I command you to believe. I command you to be destroyed in Jesus' name. I speak over any root of cancer. I call those roots withered and destroyed once and for all in Jesus' name. I speak to any blood source of cancer. I speak to anything that the cancer is feeding on, any sugars in your body, any glucose in your body. And I declare food source is removed from the cancer so it has no source of life in Jesus' name. I speak over blood cancers. I declare blood cancers are restored. I, if you have blood cancer, if you've been diagnosed with that right now, I just declare Jesus' blood is your blood. Jesus' blood is your blood. And Jesus' blood is whole and powerful and perfect. So I say blood cancers. Huh. That's a joke. So, Jesus, thank you for healing. Thank you for healing. Thank you for restoring. Thank you for all cancers being healed, all cancers being restored to normal. I call bodies being healed and strengthened and restored to normal in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord, for health, divine healing, divine health. And I pray, Father God, for all the people here and all the people that are listening, that there is a health that rises up and restored and that we walk out the remainder of our days walking in divine health and wholeness all the days of our life. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah.